we'll be in Philippians uh, here for, for the next several weeks, um, looking through uh, uh, Paul's, Paul's letter here. Uh, it's a magnificent letter. So we're, we're doing this as a campus. Um, as we do most of our, our preaching, we've got uh, Doug Schillinger is preaching this passage on Central Campus, and Doug Fern is preaching this on, uh, on East Campus. It's been a wonderful uh, treat, kind of as our, as our, as our teaching team is, is working. This Philippian series is really binding together uh, a lot of the teaching that we have. So we're working on this together and, and, and wrestling through this. Uh, there have been several hours already that our, that our pastors have been wrestling through this and how do we teach our people accurately and uh, effectively. And so it's been a, it's been a real joy in here. So... Uh, the, the Word of God is going out, uh, and, uh, and it's a true joy to be a part of that. Um, so as we, uh, we kind of track through this, I just kind of want to give the big uh, overview of To Live is Christ, the book of Philippians. So there's, a, there's an image you're seeing that's kind of, you know, uh, our, our picture there. To live is Christ. That's really what we're pulling out is, is, is the big driving theme of, uh, of the book of, of Philippians. So we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians through this idea of to live is Christ. And, and I would say, if you say to live is Christ, me as the skeptic always has to ask the questions and say, what, what does it mean then to live? So uh, that's something question that will always be kind of driving each week is to ask, ask that question. If Paul says here in the book of Philippians, that to live is Christ, then what do you actually mean by this? And so each uh, week, we're going to look at maybe a little bit of a different aspect of what it means to live uh, in the way of Christ. What does it mean to live as Christ? Today, he's going to open this letter up to us, uh, open up the book of Philippians, and he's really going to paint this picture very clearly of, uh, uh, well, very boldly, uh, very redundantly of this idea of this fellowship, this partnership. The word here is koinonia, this, this commonness together that happens as Christians uh, in the church, as, as followers of Christ. So what does it mean to live as Christ today? We're going to see that it means to live in community and to be looking towards his coming return and to shape our, our thoughts and our actions and our words and our relationships to that end, uh, that very good End. So I want to look into this. Okay, so the, the, the book of Philippians. Uh, so we call it a book of Philippians because it's a book in the Bible here. But originally it is a letter. Uh, I think if you have the ESV, it says a letter of Paul to the Philippians. Um, uh, at the very beginning of this, uh, of this text, uh, we, we get this idea that, that Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, and he is, um, and he, is, uh, he is thanking them for some things. It's basically under the guise of a thank you letter. They've sent him some things, some resources, some whatever to help him out uh, in his ministry and now in prison. Uh, he's going to say, thanks, guys. And, you know, kind of like those nice little note cards, thank you. And then he's going to write like the rest of the book and say, oh, here's some other stuff, which is meaty and juicy and wonderful. So it is a thank you letter, but it's so much more than that. It's also a love letter. We're going to see that he pours his heart out. He says, I think in verse 8, he even says, um, he says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. I, I love you so much. I, 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 I ache for you. I, I, I want you to understand this, and you can feel that. If we don't feel his words, his, his, uh, his emotions towards uh, the people of Philippi, the saints in the church of Philippi, as he calls them, uh, then, we don't, then we kind of miss the whole letter. There's this huge amount of love there, and his love comes from Christ which he will expound on and say, and the love of Christ is way bigger than what you would ever imagine. He has a feeling towards you. It's also a rally or an urge to this church to think corporately. We are all in this together, and we're chugging along day and day. Uh, and, and, and as we're all in this together, we also need to step out and see where did we come from? Where are we going? Who is the meat and, and, and the portion and, and the motive of our journey 
here as we move towards this day of Christ. So it's all of these things. It's a big, big letter uh, theologically, but it's a very small letter if you just look at how many words are there. So we're going to go through this uh, slowly for several weeks and, uh, and, and, and unpack, uh, just receive what it is that's here that Paul intended to the church in Philippi, and then we'll rightly contextualize that to what it means for us today. That was a huge setup. I won't do that every week, but now we understand a little bit of Philippians. So if you're able to, we stand as we read the word of God out of reverence for his truth, his wisdom, and his grace in delivering this to us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, are, you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, be, uh, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what is church? That's the big question I'm going to ask today. What is church? What is this thing that we're doing here? Why are we here? And instead of, uh, you know, I think it's really easy for me if I want to rule and reign over you to say, come to church because it's good. And I've worked really hard at making this good. Okay, you all understand that's wrong. Uh, so what is Paul uh, uh, saying here? He says, this is good. <laughs> I've worked hard, but this isn't good because of my work. This is a good work. It's an ongoing work. It's an uncompleted work. And when we come together and we journey together over time, together, repeatedly, talking, singing, praising, praying, there's a work that happens. Uh, and this is a good work. Why should we go to church? Because it is so much bigger than us. And so I want to look into Paul's mind. I want to understand how is he understanding this group of people that is in Philippi, but also translates to us. So maybe if you have to have an outline, I'm not really going to preach an outline today, but if you want an outline and you crave an outline, uh, these are the three, the three things that I would probably hit on. Um, uh, what are the marks of the koinonia, the fellowship of the church? The three marks are a joyful gratitude, the church is marked by an ongoing completion, and the church is marked by abounding love. Like those are, the, those are kind of the things that, um, that Paul is developing here. So we'll turn our attention, just kind of read through this for the next few minutes and, and kind of uh, see where, where it directs us. We'll start here in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. We get this language of all, always, every. He just leads off. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm overflowing with love for you. He, Paul's is a full, joyful thanksgiving to what he says, quote, all the saints who are in Philippi, end quote. He is just overflowing. So why such thankful joy? 
Verse 5 then answers this. He says, I I am thankful because of your partnership in the gospel. This idea of partnership is a big theme throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Philippians. And so uh, today I'm going to make a very big deal of it, um, but we're going to need to remember this big deal of the partnership of, of the fellowship that's there, and we're going to carry this with us throughout the book of Philippians. So what is this, this, uh, this fellowship? The word here for partnership is, is this Greek word koinonia. Uh, that's a good one to remember, to throw that around in Christian circles, and you seem like the smartest man in the room. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. Koinonia, it's rich. It's wonderful. It's, uh, it's fantastic. He says it's a partnership, a koinonia, which means fellowship oftentimes translated to fellowship. Um, Maybe a a bigger sense of this idea of koinonia is a a unity that results from a commonly shared something. Uh, So there's a unity that results from a commonly shared uh, experience that we have. So in one sense, we're all a koinonia because we're sharing in uh, this morning together. Uh, there, it could be a, a shared idea. We all believe in Jesus, so there's a koinonia there. Uh, we're all Iowan. There's a koinonia there. And so there's this idea that it's this shared something that's there. There's a commonness to it. That, and I like the wording of commonness. It, it brings about a lot more, a, a more robust thing. But the word partnership is actually pretty fantastic. Uh, the word that we read here, partnership, um, it's kind of like uh, Paul is taking two things here. He says there's a partnership, there's a physical partnership that's here. See, the, the church of Philippi has sent prayer, they've sent uh, food, they've sent provisions, they've sent money, uh, and they sent it with this guy, Epaphrodi- Epaphroditus, who we're going to read about later. They've sent it to him while he's in prison, and he's, he's needed that. They've sent him, and they've supplied him kind of as a missionary, which he was. They sent him resources, as we might send missionaries today. It's a similar practice. And he's saying, thanks for doing that. A very physical provision. You have partnered with me by helping me on the physical things of life so that I could do what I do. And so he says, this is a partnership that we have, a koinonia that we have together. He also says, though, there's this spiritual side of this partnership, that there's this partnership in the gospel. So yes, you're allowing me of my physical, you know, whatever, to to take care of my physical needs. But there's also this thing, this commonness that we have, that in my work, on the mission field, so to speak, in in your work, in your home, in your work, in your church, there's a partnership there. There's a commonness that comes from us being together in the gospel. And I kind of want to move that that direction because he says it's a koinonia in the gospel. So what what Paul is doing here is, I'm going to kind of explain it this way. It helps us in a bit. Um, there's, you could, there's a slide up here, uh, synthesis. He's synthesizing this thing and take it apart. He, he's taking together, uh, this word synthesis means together theory, together idea. Synthesis, we know what that means. We synthesize, we see a whole bunch of things, we bring it together. If we just really get word nerdy on this. Uh, Paul is taking this idea of the physical and the idea of the spiritual and he's bringing these two ideas together. He's bringing together the theory or the idea. He's bringing them together. Okay, last week I did the exact same kind of talk except I said your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and you bring them together. He's doing that. He has that idea that these, these, these worlds are, are mixing together. Our physical needs, our physical desires, the gospel speaks to the physical things of life, but it also speaks to the spiritual things of life. He's bringing them together. He's synthesizing those. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to it very soon. 
We are a koinonia of Christ. We are here a fellowship of people who believe and are united together because of Christ. And whether we believe it or not, we at least know that Christ is a big deal. So I can go at that level. We might not all be Christians in this room, which is a different thing, but we at least are in a church because we may have some questions. And so we can all be common in that, that idea that we have expressed we do need something, and we're looking for that something. Many of us here have said that thing is Christ, and that's exactly where Paul is going to take this. So according to the Holy Spirit through Paul here, our corporate identity as Christians is that of a koinonia of the gospel. So uh, uh, before, we, we, before we jump uh, jump a little bit further, I want to ask the question, okay, if we're here and we're joined together, then how long do I have to put up with you guys? Uh, how long do we put up with each other? Well, how long are we here? What is, what is the duration of our time together? We look at verses 5 and 6 for that. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's our timeline. It says, uh, okay, if you got those portions, you can just like circle these and scribble them because I guess it's not your Bible. You can do what you want with it there. Um, from the first day until now. The first day, that's one marker. Until now, that's another marker. So uh, kind of like the, the good conversion view, evangelistic conversion view of we, we, we were wondering who is Jesus? How is this? We have this prayer and then we're done, right? That's the end that sometimes is, is the way we view our faith and our Christianity. We say from the first time, as we are starting to think about these things, until now, that's the next pointer, and, or time marker that he has in here. He says, we were a fellowship. We were all seekers. We were all wondering, and now we have Jesus Christ. But he says that, does, that work doesn't stop here, and this is why I think he puts this here. He then continues on in, in, in the rest of that to say that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, it's not over. We are here together working on this until the day of Jesus Christ. So it begins with this thought, this, 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 this infancy of belief in Jesus. It's now happening today. Right now, we're here together working on this, but it doesn't reach completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just a note on that. He's going to come back and say the day of Jesus Christ again. Paul right here is binding together this corporate people, this, this koinonia, this fellowship, this commonness that we have, and he's going to put it under the idea that Jesus is coming. And he's going to say, here together, everybody, Jesus is real and he is coming and we must present something of substance for the work that we've done. If we truly believe the gospel, we will work for its flourishing. And that day's coming. So keep up the work that day's coming. And that's kind of what he's doing here. So if you want to draw, you know, the picture, first day, now, till the, the, you know, the day of Jesus Christ. That's kind of, in my notes, that's where I've got this big thing saying, when is this? It's for always. We will always be doing this together. And that shapes our community in a certain way. Our life in community is one of, constant, of a constant journey, bringing to completion the good work he began. And this is something to be joyfully thankful for. So our, our koinonia, our fellowship, our commonness is one of joyful gratitude. We can, we, can, we can be bound together in a joyful gratitude that he has called us together through the gospel and he has gifted us and he has put us on a task and a journey that is for all time. But also, we are shaped by this ongoing completion. I want to ask, what is this work? You've given us work, what is the work? We'll turn now to verses 7 and 8. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Now, I'm going to rephrase what he says here. Paul says, you are dear to me, and it's right for me to think about you all so dearly, because when I think of you, I also, at the same time, think of the grace that we all share in common. When I think of you, I also at the same time think of the grace that we all share in common. So as to say, I'm not simply viewing you as part of our group because of how attractive you make the group or, or what you can bring to advance the purposes of the group. He's not saying that. He says, that's not how we do church. That's not our group. That's not how this works. He says, I think of you dearly for you are all partakers of me with grace. He says, for me to understand that we are a commonly bound uh, a group of people that are together doing something because of the gospel, it's for me to understand that you need grace. But we are common in that I first understand that I need grace. That we understand that in our fellowship, we are first sinners in need of a Savior, and that I am the worst of those sinners. And so when we come together, we confess our sins. And that's not something like, I really hope the guy down the row says this meaningfully this week. It's me. I need to be held accountable. I need to be in, in, in relation with God in a way that he knows that I understand I am a sinner. And then and only then can I go out into the corporate body, the koinonia, the fellowship, and celebrate joyfully that my other brothers and sisters, they've got sin too. And rather than being a church who judges and a church who condemns and a church who is legalistic and, and, and has all these rules, we can be a church that actually helps. And I don't feel like this is something that is just like, because churchiness is great. How great would our world be? How, how big of a movement would the church be if we actually invested in the lives of people in this way? That we said, hey, come here together. Sinners, welcome. We are all here in common. God saves sinners. So what he does here is he says, uh, he says we all need grace. We are joined together because we are a koinonia. We are a fellowship uh, in the gospel. Those are literally his words. And he says, and we are also partakers of grace together. Now here's a funny thing here. You can put that slide up now. Uh, this ha uh, Paul has a habit with inventing words to help him get his point across. He invents a whole bunch of different words. Usually he adds this sin, this together prefix to it, to really emphasize this corporate identity. We're doing something together in the flesh, in our daily lives, and in our worship. And he says, uh, the wording here in verse 8, it's literally, for you are all soon koinonia. You are all together togetherness. You are all a part of this thing. We are partaking togetherly of this thing, and we are all taking together of the grace isn't that so true of the gospel? God saves sinners, and that's the grace that he gives us. That's the grace he extends to us. It's as though uh, when we view ourselves in the body of Christ, and we view ourselves as Christians, it's as though we are all simply beggars, you know, next to each other with all of our hands extended equally, needing that grace of God which he gives. And that's, that's beautiful. That is Paul's definition of church here. That's how he understands this church. A bunch of of sinful beggars needing the bread of life. That is amazing grace. And that's the grace that we share together with Paul. And the grace that we share with the saints 
of the church of Philippi and the saints at Central and East Campus and the saints at Grace and Veritas churches and the saints around the world. That's something that we hold in common when we believe it rightly. And see, but Paul doesn't actually go this direction with it. He assumes this, and that's there, so I can speak to it rightfully from the text, but he takes us another direction. I feel like, I feel like Paul is just like fire-hosing everything on us here. Uh, and so he's like, hey, there's an assumption. This thing's all together. We're doing this, right? Okay, let's keep moving. He, he assumes this. He keeps drilling. Where does the rest of verse 7 take us? The rest of verse, eight, uh, verse 7 explains our together fellowship as receiving grace in a certain time and place. Verse 7, he says, you are all partakers with me of grace, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And I read this and I was like, ah, oh, great. Thanks for, you know, making the sermon difficult. Like, I'm going to tell everyone, hey, everybody, grace in prison. This will be great. This will be wonderful. What is he meaning here? He says, we receive this grace, whether we're in prison or whether we're not. I'll translate it. update the language here. He says, this grace is something I need. What is this grace? It's the salvation of God. It's, it's, it's that which he gives us that we can't give ourselves. He, he gives us that, that, that grace, that, that forgiveness of sin. It's there. It's for us. It's what we need. And it's there, whether we're in prison or, he says, defending and confirming. Whether we're in prison, uh, whether we're in the pulpit, whether we're in a coffee shop hashing out our faith, whether we're in the hospital on either side of the operating table, whether we're, uh, whether we're at home, He says, this grace is something we hold in common because we're all going to go from here and do very different things today and even more different things tomorrow. The thing that we hold in common as a koinonia is that we all need grace, as we all need this forgiveness and this Savior. So, to summarize, this koinonia and the gospel is an ongoing work of completion made possible in any season of life through the grace of God. So if we are in partnership of joyful gratitude in the gospel, if we are partakers of God's grace in the ongoing completion of the good work he started into us, then how do we, how do we proceed together? We know what we are, or this fellowship, this commonness of, in the gospel. We know, we know what we should be uh, doing here um, or what we need, I guess, uh, is that we need Christ, we need his grace, and we need to do that, we need to receive that together, but what do we do? Here's where we'll really uh, kind of uh, take off and push us a direction in our daily lives. Verses 10 and 11. You can get your scripture portion here, we're gonna, and a writing utensil, we're gonna mark this thing up. I'm going to read these verses and give you a couple clues uh, to just kind of some helpful hints on how to study it. Basically, I'm gonna show you the work, and then I'll preach the beauty. And it is my prayer that, circle the word that, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now underline the word knowledge and the word discernment. So that, circle the word so that, or the word so that, you may approve what is excellent and so, circle those, or circle so, so that uh, you be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You can underline the words pure, blameless, and filled. Okay, you can go to the next slide. 
There are your answer sheet there. Uh, and it's my prayer that your love may abound with knowledge, discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure, blameless, and filled. Yeah. So, okay. Here's kind of the key. This is why I had to do it that way. Uh, everything that you have circled, or everything that is in that square, because I couldn't get the computer to circle, uh, is, uh, it gives you the purpose. It answers the question, why? So we just follow. This is one of the ways that we understand what Paul is saying to us. Why pray? He says, I, it is my prayer that, so why pray? Uh, the answer is that your love may abound. So then, like a good three-year-old kid, we keep asking why. Why should our love abound? And it follows that you may approve what is excellent. Why do we need to approve what is excellent? It says, so that you're pure and blameless and filled. That one, uh, for the day of Christ. So that gives us kind of the trajectory. What are we doing here? Uh, Paul is praying that we are people that move, that we are people that, that do something. But uh, we'll jump into this. It says, my prayer that you love may abound more and more. So Paul is praying here for a crescendo of love until the day of Christ, that your love may abound more and more. But he's not simply an ushy-gushy, tolerant-of-all-things kind of love. Now, here's where what you underlined are nouns and adjectives, and I'm going to ask some help from them. Their love may abound more and more in what? How is it characterized? With knowledge and all discernment. So as a koinonia, we share something in common, that we all need to be growing in our love. And how do we grow in our love? Because we just love everyone without any questions, with any way. If anyone comes, we love them for whatever it is. That's not the gospel. That's some different kind of love. He says, you need to have knowledge. You need to have discernment. You need, to be, you need to understand what is the truth. You need to be in the Bible to understand. If we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to know what the kingdom is, and the Bible tells us what the kingdom is. Our mind needs to know what the kingdom is. Our mind needs to know who the king is. And all of that leveraging of our knowledge of Scripture, of God, of Jesus, of the Spirit, of the church, all of that serves the purpose of growing our love that we might discern. So, that we keep reading on here. It says, so that you may approve what is excellent. This growing knowledge, this discernment, this love are all to equip and to better approve what is truly excellent. You see, it's not just, I think, I think I've always thought that the point of being a Christian is to have truth, excellent, wonderful, the best truth, and to have wonderful, beautiful, excellent love. And so we're truth and love, and we're there. And that's the end. And we just do that. To Paul, over and over, he says, no, that's a means to the end. Those are the tools you have. Truth and love are the tools you have to advance something further. And what is that something further that he's advancing? He says that together, we all need to figure out what is the right way. What is truly excellent? In, uh, in, in Luke what is it? In Luke 12, Jesus uh, talks about, he uses the same word, what is excellent. He talks about uh, that we don't need to fear for God's provision on us because God, God cares for the sparrows of the field. And he says he cares for them, but he cares for you even more. The hairs on your head are even numbered. And then he ends this, this you know, illustration. He says, fear not, for you are more, uh, what is it, for aren't you more valuable than the sparrows? This idea of more valuable, that's the same word he has here of what's excellent of what is of more value, of what is more important, of what is more meaningful there. So if we take that idea, as he, as he says, aren't you more valuable 
than the sparrows. And we bring this into this idea that together we're trying to figure out what is more valuable and that we understand that Jesus is coming back. Really what our task is is that together we are trying to find the best way of Christ that we can present to him when he comes back. That's our ongoing goal. We have truth, we have love, and we are trying to do this with each other and in our homes and in our communities so that we can, we can discern and we can live out the best way he has for us to live so that we can be doing that when he comes back. Now, I'm using a lot of, I, I just pause, like I understand. I'm saying things that uh, I, I'm expounding on just basic Christian pr- principles, but I think Paul over and over again expounds on these basic, simple Christian principles because they're the basics and we need to remember them, but also because we aren't doing those things. I think Parkview North is a fantastic church. I've just been so overjoyed with you guys. I think uh, Potlucks, we do that really well. Um, and that's really, really fun. And we're doing this kind of a thing together. That's, that's a great example of the way that this works, that there's truth, that there's love, that we're doing this together, that we're growing together, that we're seeing this, this, this I don't know, life on life kind of, kind of a way of, of living. And I say, keep doing that. And what I want, what my hope and my prayer is for this passage here as it shapes just this campus is that where we're at, good. Let's keep digging into knowing each other, building each other up in knowledge of each other. Name tags, directory, those are simple ways. It doesn't have to be this crazy thing. Just get to know each other. Get to know each other's kids, where you work, what's going on. Grab coffee regularly, figure out what's happening. That's a great way that we gain the knowledge of each other, and that builds up our love, right? How do you love someone? Well, you gotta know them first. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus, we need to hear what people's king and kingdom is, and, and, and so we need to know who Jesus is, so that when our friends, the people that we're getting to know more, each other here, this koinonia, this, this, this sharedness here, that we can say, hey, remember, we're united in the gospel, and we hold to these principles, and we hold to these truths, and this beauty, and this trajectory. You're not doing that. You're, you're not living that way. You're going after a different king, or a different kingdom. And so lovingly, we can have our knowledge of God and right orthodoxy, right doctrine, right scripture, and we can have this right knowledge of the people, and we could say, oh, all discernment, let's move ahead towards the best way. This is how it works. That's some of the simple genius of a potluck, is it actually makes this not so in the clouds, and it brings it right on down here to where we're just looking at each other and talking, and then we pray. And then we think about each other. And then we follow up. And then we look into the Word. And we look into Philippians and we see, I'm really supposed to feel pretty seriously for these people. I am supposed to, what does he say here? Yearn for you with the affection of Christ. Christ knows you. Christ knows your sin. Christ knows the cost of your sin. And yet Christ dies for you. He's going to get to that point. That is the affection that we should have for one another. That is the affection that he yearns for the church in Philippi. Okay, so that you may approve what is excellent. And that's how we move forward that direction. And he says, uh, all of this then is so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness on the day of Christ. That idea of blamelessness, that idea of, uh, of purity, uh, that idea of being filled with righteousness, 
That is, to go back to a verse I kind of danced around, that is the good work that he is going to complete in us. See, the grace that we have as the people of God is that he gives us the opportunity to work through our lives so that we be pure and blameless and that we be filled with righteousness. Relationships tease out some of the sins that we have, some of the pride, some of the greed, some of the inconveniences that we have with one another. It helps us to understand how to truth and love one another. It helps us, relationships, the according to the fellowship that's here, the grace of that is that it's our, it's our, uh, it's our, um, our laboratory to experiment, to understand and informs us in a way that helps us move towards this. But it's not simply a social group. Our identity is not the social group and us trying to do good things because that could quickly become, you know, a religious clique. The end of this all comes at at verse uh, verse 11. That you be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That righteousness is not simply the end goal, but that there's fruit from it. That we understand that we are sinners. We need forgiveness. And it is not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that makes us righteous. It gives that to us. But that's not the end. It's until the day of Christ. There's fruit from this righteousness. That is our ongoing toil to cultivate and produce the good fruit that comes there. Things like love, things like truth, things like hope and patience, things like gentleness and self-control. You see, if I'm, a, if, if, if I'm honest, I, I kind of charted out, as I was thinking through this, I was like, what does this mean for me? You know, I, I, you know, I gotta preach to myself too. I said, there, there, there are too mu- there's, there's so many times that I have, I have too much uh, bad heart, is really what I wrote down. Those are literally the words, too much bad heart. Um, Uh, anger, jealousy, pride, fear, Uh, idolatry, which is like a misdirected first love, or lust, which is a different version of that. I said, sometimes I'm just too much in my heart, too much in my emotions. I'm tired, I'm I'm, I'm upset, I'm inconvenienced, whatever it is. And so I have too much of that show up to the point that it is a sin. And that is, in that cycle of sin, maybe maybe you're here, you can just kind of rail on it in your car, on your drive, in the shower, whatever it is, that, that space where you just kind of have no one telling you, whoa, easy, and you just keep going. Uh, those, those things, sometimes we, we, we credit it to addiction. I think sin itself isn't addictive. I think that's, that's something that, that's amazing about sin is that it feels so good, and if we're left to our hearts, then we're just gonna be blown around and tossed by any wave. But it's that moment when our mind kicks in and says, wait, 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 this is not the gospel. This is not what I should be doing for my people, uh, for, for, my, for my fellow brothers and sisters. I need to kick that. I need to bring that back in. Our minds are able to diagnose a sick heart by stacking it up to the word and saying, this is not good. And, and, and then our minds are able to help us give that to Christ so that we are transformed from an angry, jealous, prideful, fearful stance to God, to others, and to our community, to now a yearning with the affection of Christ. We will never be able to have that true love for one another at the deeper level if it's just an in and out, if it's just a hello, if it's just a I'll pray for you but never actually pray for you. We need to pray for our hearts to yearn for a a thankfulness for our brothers and sisters here in this room. We need to, we need to have a, a, a praise 
that God created the people in this room. We need to have a humility to go past all the inconveniences and, and, and whatever the schedules may be or whatever, whatever today's tasks or whatever happened yesterday. We need to let that go and be humble and be there with each other. Again, Parkview North does this better than most churches I've ever been in. <laughs> you guys are phenomenal at this. But I love this because the scripture tells me, hey, where we're at right now, do it more because we're not perfect and we need to do it more. So this is some of this idea of the koinonia that's here. I, I, I love what Paul has to say. And he's going to get pretty crazy. He, he's kind of like, I liken him to a guy who's, who's at the end of his life. He's, he's, he's preached this whole time. I believe in the gospel. I believe in the gospel. Jesus is real. He loves you and he wants you to live this out in your life. And he's almost like he's at the end of his, end of his life. He's in jail. He knows he's about to die here. And he's looking around this corner. And he says, he says wait a second, guys. He's looking back at us. He's looking back at Philippi. And he says, wait a second, guys. The thing I've been telling you about is real. It's real. I'm seeing it. I see glimpses of this. And what it says is, it says we're all together. And we're just going to be together. And that is one of God's graces for us. Not get together because we're in Rome and it persecutes us because liberal Iowa City hates Christians. And loves literature, but not this literature. Now he says, no, we're all together because God loves us and he put us together. So be together. And then he looks around and he says, also God loves you. And he looks around and he says, and I see that we're supposed to imitate him. And he's going to get cocky to the level of imitate me. And he's going to put up some guys and say, imitate them. And how do you imitate people if you're not with them? He says, there are some saints here. They see some things. They went before us. I, I was there. I killed Stephen. And now I'm in that spot. That guy got it. Maybe we should start talking to people in different generations. Maybe we should, maybe we should light those conversations up and find out what does the gospel mean when you're 30 and you don't sleep with children? What does the gospel mean when you are 35 and you're not married? What does the gospel mean to you when you are divorced? What does the gospel mean to you when you're just retiring or when you've been retired? What does the gospel mean to you if you experience something so horrible you can't understand why God is real? Look around this corner here. This thing's real, he says. So why don't we get together and find out how real it is in our lives. We all have stories. As a pastor, I get to see a lot of your stories. I get to work through a lot of your stories. I get to be a part of a lot of your stories. You have stories to share, and there are ones that can last line here in our text that can raise us all to the glory and praise of God. So, as we start the book of Philippians, I think the pastoral urge that I would have for us is, let's get together, let's talk about this. Let's do this for the praise and glory of God. And let's all understand that right before he says that, he says, and let's understand this is all through Jesus Christ. It's not simply the day of Christ. That's what he's talking about a lot in this passage. But then he hits it home and he says, and this is all afforded through Jesus Christ. Nothing I have said today makes any sense without Jesus Christ. It's all crazy talk. And Paul stands there and he says, yeah, it's not crazy talk. It's right there. I'm looking around this corner. It's not crazy talk. It's all through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.